have been trying to deal with the book of Revelation, and in particular, I would like to talk a little bit about the Bride of Christ. Uh, there are subjects in the Bible, and in Revelation in particular, that a lot is not said, but preachers have speculated so strong that some of these concepts have become a part of the church's doctrine and dogma. I'm not talking about, I'm not speaking about written doctrine and written dogma, but um, the bride is one of those subjects. Uh, you don't find a lot of places where this subject is mentioned, and so we'll talk about that eventually. But there are a lot of things when we look at Revelation, this book of symbols, uh, we're not to literalize it. So up front, I'll tell you, Jesus will not have a literal wife. Uh, the bride is symbolic to a group of individuals that have overcome. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Revelation, and we'll start there. Uh, but there are terms and terminologies that we'll encounter as we go through this book, and we're not here to study the book of Revelation just a few areas. Uh, you got the book of Revelation. Uh, for example, in chapter, in chapter 6, uh, the book of Revelation tells you about the Lamb of God. Now remember this word, Lamb. Lamb of God. There are times when Jesus is described as the Lamb of God in this book. Uh, there are times when he's called the root of David in this book. There are times when he is called um, uh, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Two of these um, references interest me mainly today. And one is the uh, Lamb and the other is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You'll find that sometimes Revelation calls him the Lamb when it's to do with Revelation when it's to do with salvation, when it's to do with uh, saving his people from their sins. Uh, uh, for example, in chapter 7, uh, when the great tribulation saints are mentioned, uh, in verse 14, it tells you, and I'm playing around with a few areas here before I get into our main uh, subject today. But in Revelation 7 and verse 14, uh, John is looking and he sees... Uh, he sees here a group of individuals. And the angel, uh, one of the elders, 20 and four elders were there, one of the elders answered in verse 13 unto me and says, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. He says, I don't know who these people are. See, there was a great number coming out of uh, the great tribulation. And uh, John did not know. He saw them all dressed in white. Now remember, the book is a symbolic book. It's a book of symbols. And so we cannot literalize. Uh, me wearing a white shirt does not make me holy, make me one of these people that are mentioned. So keep that in mind. And uh, not a white shirt, the white, the significance of white. And he said unto me, these are they which came out of uh, the, the King James translation says great tribulation. The margin says the great tribulation. So it seems like after the great tribulation is done, uh, 
that there comes up a people that have gone through the tribulation and survives and accept the Lord and are able to live for God during this period of time. Uh, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, this is one aspect where the word lamb is used as his blood, a cleansing effect. Now, a lot of us in Christianity, we use the word blood uh, lightly and frivolously. And uh, traditionally, some groups have actually used the word blood against the devil. Uh, when they're rebuking the demons, they said the blood against you, Satan. Now, that's a lack of comprehension. And a lot of things we do in religion has no real scriptural significance. Uh, one of the things that we have done over the years is we preach uh, to the world out here. We call ourselves the body of Christ. And I'm with this group because I believe we're the body of Christ. But we call everybody else out there Babylon. And we preach a message that says, come out of Babylon. Come out of Babylon. We tell people, you come coming out. So when I left whatever organization I was in and became a part of Gospel Assembly movement, I said, God brought me out of Babylon and I'm in the body of Christ. Now, I want to tell you very upfront, the New Testament church did not preach the message that says, come out of her, my people. They did not preach, come out of Babylon. They preached sanctification from the world. And when I'm thinking the world, the world comprises of apostate religion uh, plus all the pagan religions. It comprises of political powers and commerce. The world is made up of all kinds of stuff, uh, entertainment, fashion. And when the Lord says, uh, love not the world, that's what it's talking about. It doesn't talk, it's not talking about the trees and the beautiful part of nature. It's saying, love not the ungodly system that we're living with. So they did not use the word Babylon in the early church. Uh, they preached, come out of the world. This is what they taught. But we have gone overboard and we make that a real strong system. And when you become a part of us, we tell you you're out of Babylon. Well, I hate to differ on this particular subject. Because if you're still full of the world and you're still full of carnal ways and fashions are still caught, you're still caught up with fashions and some of these areas of your life, you're not out of Babylon, my friend. Babylon, to be free from Babylon, takes a long process of sanctification. We are in the process of losing the world out of our lives. Paul took 40 years almost. Uh, there are things that God must work out of us. So this is one of the areas we preach. Come out of Babylon. Uh, that's a misrepresentation of what the scripture really says. Now a statement like that will turn 95% of the fellowship against me because I made a statement like that. Do I recant? No. Am I feeling I'm right? Absolutely. And so when I say that God must give us time to lose the spirit of the world. And that is what Paul meant when he said in Romans uh, chapter 12, he says, uh, I will therefore that you let me find that here, exactly, exact quotation. You don't have to turn to it. But in Romans uh, 12 chapter, 
And you know, sometimes uh, you know the scripture so much and then it slips your mind when you need something. It says, uh, Paul says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God. Paul says, I'm begging you. Who is he talking to? Children of God or the ungodly? He's talking to the children of God. He's writing to the children of God who are already in the church. And he is begging them. He says, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies. I start with our bodies physically, our mindset. He says, a living sacrifice. When you're walking down, you belong to God. Uh, when I look around in this world, I don't find much of that. I find that we belong to ourselves more than we belong to God. God has no leverage over the lives of the people we call Christians today. Uh, what we call the body of Christ today, I wonder sometimes if Christ recognizes uh, this movement as his body. I will do my best to criticize every negative thing until we can get it all right. And so Paul says, present your bodies, many members, many bodies, a living sacrifice. So we're here in this world, and this world, we don't belong to it. Uh, we don't belong to Babylon. Instead of saying the world, I'll say Babylon. We don't belong to Babylon. Uh, but we come here in the body of Christ, and we brought with us all of our old tradition and ways. And some of that has penetrated the work of God in our day. Pagan customs have followed us, come along with us, who are not really completely out of the world and under the entanglements of this world. We brought that into the church, and if democracy takes a hold of the church, we will submit to some of our pagan customs. Uh, that is, we bring our pagan customs and traditions and add a little Jesus like seasoning salt is added to a pagan culture. We need to be sanctified. Our bodies and our minds need to be living sacrifices. I look around today, and I think Brother John says you need binoculars. No, Brother John, you need a microscope. Binoculars is a big thing. You need a microscope to find living sacrifices today. And so we are, we are still talking about the bride of Christ. We're getting there. And so Paul says... He says, which is, this is not asking you too much. Christ died, not in futility, but his death would be in futility if your life still belongs to you and you call the shots. And so listening to the message today is like in the days of Ezekiel. People come to listen to the word of God. They hear, they said, let's go down to hear what the word of the Lord is. They hear with their ears, but their hearts are far, and they would not comply to the demands of God uh, and the demands of Scripture for a sacrificial, dedicated life. We still want to do our own way. But I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about anything like that because God, He is the winner. He saves His people. And whatever it takes to bring the elect in submission to God, he will accomplish it. So Paul went on further here. He says, and be not, be not confirmed to Babylon. 
He's telling the saints in the church, be not confirmed to this world. Same thing, be not confirmed to Babylon. And that is a sad thing because if I tell you you're out of Babylon and you're still full of Babylon, I've misrepresented your spiritual condition and I will be responsible for damning your spiritual progress and your sanctification. I cannot promote a concept that says you're out of the world when you still have worldly traits. And the world by itself is not that evil. It's your lust in you, the lack of dedication. And that's why Paul says, I will that you present your bodies. And when he says bodies, he's not talking just a physical body. He's talking everything that accompanies the physical body, your thought pattern, your desire, your lust what your eyes sees, what your flesh lusts after, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and worst of all, subtle, but worst of all, the, the pride of life. The pride of life. This is what keeps people so steady in their own position. Somewhere down the line, you've got to fall on the rock and be broken. Otherwise, if you're elect, he will get you. Well, brother saying, I don't like to pray. Don't worry. If you're elect, uh, you will pray more than any one of us when he's finished with you. Uh, because he, has, he knows exactly what to deal with in your life. Whether it's your life personally, or whether it's your wife or husband's life personally, or whether it's the children or your grandkids. He knows exactly how to pull what becomes our idols in our lives to take it down and squash it up and get you to serve him. All right? So this is one of the things that Paul is saying. He says, be not confirmed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need a transformation, not a reformation. See, a lot of us come to church and we follow the protocol, white shirt, granny's not on the hair, long sleeves. You know, we don't dress indecent. Uh, it, we try our best to represent God. But if the heart is not saved and we have no positive conversion, then you need to be saved. In today's world, I think every one of us ever so often need to hit the altar and ask God, please save me. Continue my conversion experience. Because I can say, Lord, forgive me 20 years ago for my sins which are past. But since that time, I continuously sin and transgress God's law. I need forgiveness for that. That is why the Lord's um, pattern prayer says, forgive me this day as I forgive those that trespass against me. And so here is what Paul is talking about. And so when we think about that, coming out of Babylon is another message that we play on. The last service I talked, I spoke about uh, the word Antichrist. Antichrist is not found anywhere in the book of Revelation. Yet, the book of Revelation is used and the word Antichrist is used as if it is a part of the book of Revelation. Today we are talk, we're going to talk about the bride of Christ. And that's a symbol. A uh, few places in the Bible talks about the bride of Christ. But here back in Revelation, let's go back in Revelation and touch a few things. Uh, in talking about the bride of Christ, I'm noticing here in chapter 2, 
it's talking to each um, the Lord is sending a message to each one of these uh, seven churches in Asia Minor. Now, on Wednesday night, I told you that when John saw this vision, he see the Lord, one like unto the Son of Man, walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, the candlesticks were not on a large candelabra, you know, like you know, have the seven candlesticks. No, there were seven candlesticks independently standing there. And the Lord was walking in the midst of the candlesticks. Uh, the Bible doesn't say he was the candlestick inspector. But when I read chapter 2 and chapter 3, I imagine that was, that, is what, that was what he was doing, inspecting these seven churches in Asia Minor at that time. And so to each one of these churches, he says, the first thing he says, I know your works. Whether it's Ephesus, or whether it's Smyrna, or whether it's Pergamos, or Sardis, or any other one of the church, the first thing the Lord says, I know your works. And it is important for us as a congregation, this church of Mississauga, if we are a candlestick, we must understand that the Lord will examine the works of this church. Um, I'm, it's not my church. It belongs to the Lord. I call it my church because I'm the pastor for this church. But I help and I look and I wonder and I sometimes I hope the Lord don't really come and examine us today. Because if he comes and examines this church like he did to the seven churches of Asia Minor, he'll find a lot of the world still interwoven in our minds. He will find there's a lot of lacking in our lives. Uh, he might find traces of every one of the flaws of these seven churches, uh, five churches in particular, but he might find all of that. So Lord, please don't examine this today. But he has examined it. Me saying that does not mean he will not examine it. This message I'm preaching is, tell you, is telling you that he has examined it. When you listen to the message, you remember it's not coming from brothers saying. It's a message telling you about how valuable or invaluable our sacrifices are. And when he weighs this church and tries our work, what does he find? And we learn from hindsight what he found in every one of these churches. And some of them had a seat of synagogue, uh, the seat of Satan and the synagogue of Satan right in the middle of the church. You think a church like Smyrna that was such a wonderful assembly did not have the synagogue of Satan, but it did. It says here in verse uh, chapter 2 and verse 9, I know thy works and thy, tribulation, and thy tribulation and your poverty. Here was a church physically, financially poor. They didn't have a lot of money. But in God's sight, money does not mean uh, God see you as poor. God can see you as rich in works. He says in verse um, Verse 9, I know thy works and thy tribulation and thy poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. It is important that we understand that God is very particular about how his people serve him. 
The church is not the building. The church is made up of the individuals. And you might have a congregation of 500. You might have a congregation of 100. You might have a congregation of 50. When God looks at a congregation, he sees only the elect and those dedicated to God. And when they fail, a message is given to that church. The Lord does not want 5%, 10%, 15%. He wants, after a while, that your whole life belongs to him. A living sacrifice. And that is what we are talking about when it comes to terminologies that we are in, in, encountering here in these seven churches. Now today, I'd like to draw your attention to a different word. It's called overcome it. Overcome it. And I feel when the word overcome is used, an overcomer or an overcome it, he that overcome it, it is describing members that will rule and reign with Christ. I can start from the last part here. It says in chapter 3, in verse 21, when the Lord is writing, writing to the church of uh, Laodicea, he said in verse 21, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. That is, here is an individual that will rule and reign with Christ. Not everybody in the church is going to be the bride of Christ. Uh, don't think that is possible. It is not. And to be in the bride of Christ demands, makes a lot of demands. And when I say the bride of Christ, again, I want to explain that Christ is not going to have a wife. But there is going to be an element of overcomers that when he comes back, they will belong to him. They will be a part of his administration. And what is the Lord is doing, he is making, uh, through the ministry, the Lord wants not to contaminate the work of God, but he wants to purify the work of God. Hold your finger in Revelation and turn with me here. Uh, back to the book of Corinthians. And Paul mentions this in 2 Corinthians, uh, the 11th chapter. <clears throat> and uh, uh, let's, let's not see yourself as absolute or uh, different. You know, today I would have liked to come in here and preach a wonderful lesson and commend the saints of the church and say how wonderful you are, beautiful you are. But I remember this morning as I was getting dressed to church, I, what came into my mind was when John was writing, uh, when um, uh, John was get, Jude was writing, and Jude said, he says, when I give all diligence, I'm giving my, I study, I put some things together, and I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. He says, I had to change my message. Because when he looked at the work of God, his common salvation to tell him how to be saved and how to accept the Lord and how to progress in their sanctification, Jude had to change his message. And how many times have I come here with thoughts in my mind and I have to change it because God wanted something else said? It would be nice if I can stand here and commend you that during this pandemic, you've been faithful to the Lord in spite of you not being here. But you've been faithfully supporting the church. Have you been calling the pastor and find out how you're doing this by yourself? You, you call me and says, Brother Singh, uh, thank you for being faithful and preaching the word of God nonstop 
during the pandemic. Talking to an iPad, talking to an iPhone. I never liked uh, the terminology live streaming. I actually make a, made a mockery of that one time. If it's live streaming, maybe I'm doing dead one. Dead streaming, you know, but just make a joke out of it. But how many individuals have called me and says, Brother Singh, thank you for the good job you're doing. Uh, well, it's not important to call you. Well, have anyone called me? Yes, they have people. I've been individuals that call me. They have been individuals that try to find out how I'm doing. And so when I'm thinking... Uh, if I had more response, positive response, I'll be here commending everyone for their good effort. But I'm here to commend the few that have been faithful and to the Lord, uh, being faithful to me and to the Lord over this pandemic period. I have not failed in my, uh, in my dedication to the work of God and my commitment to preaching the gospel. Have you failed? And so when John, Jude wanted to preach of that, talk about a common salvation, he had to change his message. And he had to preach. And that is why I don't like live streaming because uh, people that are not a part of us will say, what's wrong with this man? All he's doing, preaching against sin and rebellion all the time. My main ministry is not to the world. I'm not here to save the world. I'm here to save the people God has given me. I'm here to help us not to be so stubborn in our own ways. I'm here to produce overcomers if that's possible. So the message I preach must be able to deal with hypocrisy and deal with sin. And at the same time, ever so often, I drop a little nugget for every preacher listening to me that uh, he did, was not called to the ministry. He might need some little brushing up to his method and methodology. I'm not here to educate anybody. I'm here praying that God will illuminate your mind and as such illuminate your hearts that you might live for him. The pandemic was God's plan. It was God's purpose. It was what God arranged and allowed to happen in the world. Nothing happens outside of God's control. And if the pandemic has affected you negatively that you get so accustomed staying home that you can't come to church and be faithful to church, then you need to examine yourself and see what your situation is. The church, I can only preach the gospel. God must do the rest. All right? And so here Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. The devil had already undermined this church. But here is something that talks about the bride of Christ. Paul said, would to God you would bear with me a little in my folly. At this point in time, this church that was started by this apostle, they had grown and known some scriptures now. They can preach the gospel. They can do prophecy and whatever was going on in that assembly. The devil had come on in and a wrong spirit was developed in this church. A spirit that moved the lips and the hips. And when a true man of God walked in and he's not jiving with the rest of them, they think he has not the spirit. Years that God has worked in my life should be an example to you. Watch my stability and watch my soberness and watch how I do things. And that should be an example. You didn't grow so big. I mean, I have a daughter when she was growing up. Uh, she was told everything. 
And now she has grown up and ever so often I'm listening and somebody's giving me advice and sometimes it's good advice and sometimes God, don't you know I've been around on this earth for 72 years? I'm saying that because that's my daughter. But a lot of times a minister comes into a position that he wonders, uh, why does people go blind who once saw? How come they don't understand that the ministry is not there to be pushed and, 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 and played around with? Ministry is called of God. And so Paul is writing to a backslidden church, and here is what he's saying, still trying to save them, still trying to save them. He says, I'm jealous over you. A pastor stands in Christ's stead, and I become jealous on behalf of the Lord when I see people are caught up with the world and caught up with society and caught up in their own affairs, and they're supposed to belong to Jesus. I get jealous. Jealousy is one of the strange characteristics and attributes of God. He told Israel when he gave them the commandments, he says, I'm a jealous God. And when I get jealous, I judge not only that generation, but the second generation and the third generation gets judged because I'm jealous. Your descendants would be judged because of your lack of commitment. God says, I will judge. And so the results will not be the same. And so Paul says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I, Paul, have espoused you. I engaged you to one husband. Now here is where Paul is talking about a husband-wife relationship. Christ and his church. He says that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. There was a time... In the history of humanity, when a man was a man, a woman was a woman, and a virgin was what you give in marriage to uh, some suitor that's coming in. It was a principle existing in Israel for many, many years. It is sad that in Israel today, the unconverted governments that rule the land would allow immorality to flaunt itself in the street just like we do here in Mississauga and Toronto. But there was a time when you want to give your daughter to marriage, she must be a virgin. No man touched the package. Today, people have common law. They live together and then decide they're going to marry afterwards. It's a sickening society we are living with. Paul says, I want to present the church as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now here's a big job. You're taking a contaminated, uh, almost prostitute mentality, and you're bringing that in submission to become a virgin. It's a big job. It takes the Holy Ghost to take a woman of the street, spiritually speaking, to take a woman that's a prostitute, spiritually speaking, to take a woman that's contaminated, spiritually speaking, to take a church that's full of all kinds of spiritual contamination and bring that into the state of a virgin. That's not an overnight job. I don't see that being done in our churches. I, we think that any old Tom, Dick, Harry, Jones, and Brung, and Broad would be married to Christ. No, sir. 
he will not be unequally yoked. That which will rule and reign with him must be free from contamination. The rest of us that miss that project of being in the bride of Christ, we got the final resurrection, which is still going to save some of us. But this concept that everybody can be in the bride of Christ is a misconception. The whole church ain't going to be in the bride of Christ. What do you think Christ is? What? Some strange uh, uh, man that don't care where his bride is coming from? He does care and it grieved Paul when Paul was preaching a gospel to bring the church into spiritual virginity that someone was contaminating the church with paganism and cultures that belonged to Babylon and the world was being brought in. And that is what Paul says, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, your minds, back to the mind, your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. For he, if he that cometh, it, this contamination is not basically from the world. The problem here, preachers were coming in with a message that was not ordained by God. That is why I'm completely against Bible seminaries to manufacture preachers and send them out into the ministry to de de destroy society. When you're raising a child in this world, make sure you're not sending a pervert out into the society to undo the peace and tranquility that man should enjoy. Don't send out an Al Capone or an Adolf Hitler or some crook or someone that is going to destroy our people's souls. And that is what is happening when ministers call themselves and they go out into the ministry and they were not really called of God. And they spurn and despise men that are really called preaching the truth. Are you listening to me? All right, we're talking about the bride of Christ and Paul is talking here. He says, if he that come and preacheth another Jesus. See, there are many Jesuses. There's only one true Jesus, and I hope to God I'm representing him here today. Because I'm telling you, this Jesus I'm preaching ain't going to be married to a broad from Young Street. You got it? Isn't that smooth and decent? Long ago, I'll use some rough language, but today I'm very polished. You see, I must, uh, suit, I must wear this suit and carry some decency and caliber. Jesus ain't going to be married to that which is not a virgin, spiritually speaking. And Paul travailed to bring the church. That's what every man called of God is going to do. I can't condone ungodly fashions. I can't condone ungodly lifestyle. I have a problem bringing myself in submission to God as I preach the gospel. I've not yet apprehended that which the Lord has apprehended me for. But this one thing I do, I'm forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth, like Paul says, unto the things which are before I press towards the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Then when we're looking at little areas here of the word of God, I'm taking you next before we go back to Revelation to Ephesians uh, chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. 
Uh, these are little references that talks about a husband-wife relationship, Christ and the church relationship. There's not a many scriptures that speak this way. And then it says here in Ephesians chapter 5, the whole chapter is beautiful for you to read. Uh, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Verse 2, walk in love. Uh, verse 3, but fornication and uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you that call yourselves saints. This man is a holiness preacher. His name is the Apostle Paul. And he goes on here, he says, neither let filthiness and foolish talking and jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving us giving thanks unto the Lord. He says, for know this, that no whoremonger, or nor unclean person, nor covetous, who is an idolater, shall inherit the kingdom of God. I like this method of preaching. He says, don't think you're going in if you're contaminated. So I'm not going to tell you happy, praise the Lord, you came out of Babylon. When you're full of Babylon in your spirit and in your system. And all the junk we bring out of pagan cultures into the body of Christ. And get God's people acting like sometimes like idiots. We need as ministers need to find out where our culture is coming from. And I don't care who introduced it. Because the devil has no respect for your name nor your position, nor your authority. And that's what Paul was warning about. And then he goes on here, because of time, I can't really run too long, because we have a youth class. He says here in verse 8, he says, For we were sometimes in darkness, but now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Your light, walk like it. Isn't this a holiness message? Isn't this a holiness message in chapter 5 of Ephesians? He says, have no fellowship. Read it, everybody. Verse 11, have little bit fellowship. No, he says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but reprove them. I still got some things in darkness that I, I sit down and accommodate. You know, in Hollywood is giving something on the internet or the television not so bad stuff but it's not so evil you know like I would but whoever produced it were fornicators and adulterers we got to be free from that we've got to be free from that if I am ever given a kingdom a city in the kingdom I'll eliminate every trace of electronics in that city I will You want to see me? Don't call me. Come visit me. Hello. The phone, we don't have a phone. That which the devil has designed, there are giants in the land, and that's a different subject. There are giants in the land today, electronic giants that are in the land today that are not called of God, called and ordained by the devil To pollute and pervert society and contaminate the church so we can produce the bride of Christ. Talking about a dragon face to face with a woman ready to devour the man child before he's even born. That's today. That is this day we are living in. 
So my friends, we all need to re-examine our conversion. You could be in church for 20 years and not converted. Re-examine our conversion because children of light do not walk in darkness. And then skipping over, you know, I'm getting carried away. He said in verse 14, awake thou that sleepest. Are you in a deep slumber? Has the, per uh, the principles of this world contaminated you and, and lull you into deep slumber? He says, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the state of the dead and Christ will give you light. And then he comes here and there's so much. Chapter 5 should be a chapter you read this week. And then in verse 20, uh, 23, he's, uh, 24, 22, he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now here's a comparison, husband-wife, uh, that is being uh, talked about. He says, therefore the church, therefore as the church is subject, subject to Christ, not subject to committee, not subject to some arrogant preacher, subject to Christ. As the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be subject unto their own husbands in everything. Verse 25. Everybody with me. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. And when he loved the church, he gave his life for the church. Because Christ gave his life for the church... As a preacher, as a minister and ambassador of the gospel, I want to make sure that church is not a polluted church. My job is not to accommodate a lack of virginity. My job is not to accommodate worldliness. My job is not to accommodate evil. My job is to preach against it that the church continues with its sanctification process. That we eventually can be a chaste virgin. And he goes on here. He says that he might sanctify it. Christ loved the church. And he wants to sanctify it. Set it apart from the world. And the worldly fashions. And the sports. And everything else that goes on with the world. He wants to sanctify the church from apostate Christianity. And he goes on here. He says how? With the washing of water by the word. Water here is significant to the Holy Spirit. We need the genuine baptism of the Holy Ghost. If something comes in this church today and everybody fall down flat on their back and somebody said the Spirit is moving, I would find the closest exit and leave. The Holy Ghost is not the spirit of an idiot. But brothers sing. It happened in the past. I don't care where it happened. My Bible tells me when the Holy Ghost comes, lives are changed. People are converted. The gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is produced. Not a bunch of rebellious individuals. Everybody's saying, I got the Holy Ghost, but it's not telling me these things. Well, you ain't got the Holy Ghost. You maybe have a ghost. We need to examine everything in our lives, our infilling, our conversion, everything we do, examine it afresh because Christ is not coming for a contaminated church, but a church without spot or wrinkle. 
And he goes on here, he says, and this is beautiful, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself. A glorious, everybody say glorious church. A glorious church not having, not a single spot. You wash your white shirt and you come out of the, uh, the laundromat and you look and it's got spots, wash it again. Well, the spots are not coming, discard it. You follow what I'm saying? No spots, no wrinkle. Well, it's wrinkle-free, but it got wrinkle. <clears throat> Iron it out. No spot, no wrinkle, nor any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. That's the bride. Not this joke that we say the bride, we're all in the bride place. No, no, no. Not a joke. The bride is made up of individuals that were once spiritual prostitutes, were all contaminated with sin and worldliness and all kinds of stuff, but we have come in and the cleansing process of the Holy Ghost and the Word of God has brought us to that place where we don't have spots anymore. You see, when I'm looking at my life, I'm seeing spots. But as I draw closer to God, like Isaiah, he says, in the day that Uzziah died, uh, King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord. And when I saw him, he says... I said, O oh, wretched man that I am, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwelt with a, among a people of unclean lips. He says, I need God. See, the brighter the light comes into your life, is your hypocrisy will be revealed and you can't live with it. If you can live with your hypocrisy, you're far from the light. You might memorize scripture. You might be able to quote from Genesis to Revelation nonstop. But if light is radiating genuine in your life. Illumination, in illumination is touching your mind. You'll be able to understand that there is a principle God works with. And so, time, we've got less than five minutes. So here we go. Uh, he says uh, that you might, he might sanctify, that it would be without spot, wrinkle, uh, holy, uh, but holy and without blemish. So back in Revelation, and uh, we want to wrap it up here. I want you... Uh, to look at all of these scriptures in every one of the church, there is a word, overcome it. Verse 7, <clears throat> church of uh, Ephesus. To him that overcome it will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. In verse 11, to the church of Smyrna, he says, He that overcome it shall not be hurt of the second death. We're talking about bright members here, overcomers. Okay? Uh, chapter... Uh, chapter 2 and verse 17, to the church which was in Pergamos, he says to him that overcometh, will I give to eat of the hidden manner, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new nature, a new name, which no man knoweth but he himself. Every individual that overcometh, uh, this word overcometh, what I'm reading here is always halfway down the verse, right? So follow with me. Uh, so verse 17 says that, and then for the church at uh, Tyatira, in verse 26, He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. You see, it is overcomers that will be in the bride of Christ. Chapter 3, 
Uh, to the church at Sardis, verse 5, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will con confess his name before my Father and before the angels. What a promise to an overcomer. In chapter 3 and verse 12, uh, to the church at Philadelphia, he says, verse 12, Him that overcometh, beautiful verse of Scripture, beautiful verse of Scripture, him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out. You're not backsliding. When you're an overcomer, you don't backslide. Not now, not ever. You never become a Lucifer. Never. He says, and I will write upon him mine, the name of my God and the name of the city of my God which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. What an opportunity. I had not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men. The promises and the blessings that accompany being an overcomer. And verse uh, 21, the church of Laodicea, he says, Him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I. Jesus, you had to overcome, yes. When Jesus was on this earth, he was tempted in all manners like as we are, but did not yield. And that is why when you have his spirit in your life, you're able to become an overcomer. If you fake the Holy Ghost, you will never overcome squat. At least one bad word I use today. It's not really a bad word. You're not overcoming anything. Chapter 21, I'm finished. I'm finished here, chapter 21. And so here is a, sit, a statement here. When John sees this new heaven and a new earth, remember the book is full of symbols and symbolism. But in chapter uh, 21, the word overcomer is used again. Uh, that is eight times in the book of Revelation, the word overcomer is used. It's used one time to each one of the seven churches. And then in chapter 21, it's used to describe the bride, the lamb's wife, spiritually speaking. And he comes here, he says, him that overcometh shall inherit all things. Because we are co-heir with Christ. If he inherits all things, then I am a co-heir with him. I'm like his wife. Technically speaking, joined together. That's why the devil is working so hard to contaminate the concept of husband and wife in our present day society. When that happens in society, that's okay. When it happens in the church, that's bad. That is bad. Because it's the concept, very concept that the kingdom of God would be established on. And it goes on here, it says in verse 7, Him that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I'll be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. And it came to me one of the seven angels, verse 9, which had the seven vials and the seven la of the last seven plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride. Now, this is specific. The bride. And I hope that's what the translation says in the original. The lamb's wife. 
Now here's the lamb, not the lion. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, when he gets up to a war, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. When he opens his mouth and roars like a lion and gives a message to seven thunders and they utter their voice, that's the lion of the tribe of Judah. God uses uh, different names for his different roles or his different attributes. And there are times when this Lamb of God is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, he is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. The same Jesus, Lion, Lamb, Seed of David, all kinds of names given to him. And he comes down here and he says, come on, I'll show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And what did he do? He carried me away in the spirit into a high mountain into a great, and showed me that great city, the new Jerusalem, holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. Now this new Jerusalem we see here in Revelation 21 is not the literal city. What did John prom get promised? He would see the bride, the lamb's wife. But then he forgot and he showed me a city instead. I don't know what's wrong with this angel. No, nothing is wrong with the angel. Because the city is not a literal city. And I don't have time. I don't know all the details about it. <clears throat> but it says here uh, something, a, a few things about the city. And it comes, comes down to the end of that chapter. And this city, John says, when I look in this city, it had no temple therein. Now, real Jerusalem will have a temple. <clears throat> but this city, this spiritual city... The city that will govern, rule, and reign with Christ. You know, Babylon is called a city too. So there is always a fake counterfeit. But the city that will rule and reign with Christ, the bride, the Lamb's wife, you don't need a literal temple. Let's read it here, and I'll close this service. It says, And I saw no temple therein. Why there was not a temple? Because God, the Lord God Almighty, and the Lamb are the temple of it. It's not a literal city. It's made up of overcomers. And overcomers whose lives, whose very spirit, whose nature is controlled by the very presence of God. Not only would Christ have a totality of the spirit of God that he has today, but the bride of Christ. When they see him, they become like him. Every overcomer would receive Exactly the same spirit, not the same authority like Jesus, but they'll be co-equal, co-ears uh, co, uh, co with Christ uh, to rule and reign with him for a thousand years and forever and ever. It takes a lot to be in the bride of Christ. It takes an overcomer. It takes a free from the spiritual contamination of society. May God let this lesson sink in our hearts. And in our minds that we might not lose this vision that we have ahead of us. May we strive to the end. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this lesson today. We thank you, Lord, that this lesson concerning the bride of Christ. There's so much to learn, Father. But help us, O oh God, in, a, in our endeavor, our feeble endeavor... We know it's not human might, human genius, human knowledge, human wisdom, but it's by your spirit. Please, O oh God, we beseech you today that you give us of this genuine Holy Spirit.
that, Lord, we can learn what it takes in our spirit to rule and reign with Christ. Free us from contamination. Free us from pollution. Sanctify your people, Father, we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. God bless you.